And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torrezani. I'm so excited. I'm here with Brian Johnson, and I want you to know I have been practicing so hard how to say the title as if it's that difficult to your book. Arte? Arte? You nailed it. You nailed it, Alessandra. Wonderful. Nice work. Great. So I've already won so far. Um, so we're doing good. We're being positive in this in this um, interview so far. So we're doing awesome. Um, I'm just so excited. I got a whole like kit sent to me, and I think it's so cool with the book. Now I have to be honest. I am a mom of an 18 month old, and I have not had time to read this book. Usually, I would be able to read it like in a week, but I did not have that week to do that. But I'm so excited because I just looked that it's an audio version as well. So I'm going to be definitely doing that during nap time in the car. I'm I'm very excited. But I just, I think that I, you know, a mutual friend of ours introduced us. I've been reading up on you. I've been learning about the book, learning about all the years that you've been working with people from the Navy SEALs, like, which I think is the coolest. Um, you're also a dad. There's just so much that I want to dive into um, because I feel like you have done so much in your short lived life so far. Like it's wild to me. You've done things that someone at 150 years old should be, you know, just trying to accomplish. You've accomplished so much. Um, so what I first want to know is, Brian, how did you even start like knowing that this is this is the goal that you wanted when you were young? Were you this determined and was like, I'm going to make this huge like impact in the world? Well, well, bless you. And first of all, I'm turning 50 next year. So I'm not just getting going. You I got some so great <laughs> All right, let's go. No, seriously, six months into 50, you start realizing you're uh, you're hopefully <laughs> more than halfway there. Let's go. Uh, but bless you. Thank you. So happy Jen connected us. 18-month-old, you're in it. In um, it. Good news, each chapter in the book is only like two or three pages long. So we, we I wrote it hoping to make it easy, you know, busy yes. people, more wisdom and less time. Um, you know, uh, I, I grew up in uh, a really conservative um, Catholic family, youngest of five kids, lower middle class. My dad worked in a grocery store. Um, I know that you talk publicly about your mental health challenges. Yeah. I've had mental health challenges. My dad struggled with alcohol and almost certainly mm -hmm. depression. His dad struggled with alcohol, ended his own life. So, yeah. you know, I can playfully joke now that I seem to have lost both the genetic and environmental lottery. I had my yeah. own challenges. But, you know, I was kind of the golden kid, straight A, you know, little nerdy kid that just did my best and all those things. But at some point, yeah, I got really passionate about understanding. At some point would have been probably around 20, 21, 22 years old mm. um, while at UCLA. Like what makes great people tick? Those mm. people that, that go out and make a difference in the world. Um, what is it about them? You know, and um right. Over the last 25 years, just been studying ancient wisdom, modern science, trying to figure out um, how not only to make a difference, but to enjoy the process and to truly have a deep, meaningful, purpose-driven life. Right. I love that that you say enjoy the process because I feel like, you know, when you, I mean, look, I'll even use the example of just my podcast, right, which is so small in the grand scheme of things compared to, you know, books and movements and all this stuff. But it's, a, it's, it's, it's exhausting. You know what I mean? It's time consuming. It takes you away from, you know, family. There have been times where I'm like, you know what, do I even want to continue doing this because I want to spend time with my child, even if I'm away just for an hour, you know? So you have to make sure that you're enjoying the process. And if you're not doing it, for fun and for yourself as well, then that ends up showing. And I see that a lot with people. And and I've been really lucky, I guess, the guests that I've seen have not been like that, but I've listened to a lot of other shows and radio shows and TV shows and stuff. And you see these people where it's just taken such a grueling toll on their life that they don't even enjoy it. It's like a script that they're saying, you know, it's not mm. real, it's not authentic. So I think what you're doing is so cool. And I, I love that you say that you have to enjoy the ride because it is a ride. It's a role coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I want to make clear that, that it isn't always joyful. And that yeah. joyless urgency, it's a phrase Oliver Berkman talks about in 4,000 Weeks, a great book, but joyless urgency, you know, there's this, yeah. this, we lose that sense of, um, 
of deep grounded joy. And again, I'm not going to pretend that that we're ever going to get to a point where it's all one big joyful game. Sure. It's not. It's hard. Sure. We're going to get knocked down, et cetera. But just stepping back and, and um, checking in on that. But yeah, super aligned on the importance of remembering that and practicing yeah. the things that help us experience that more. No, it's so true. And you know, you were talking about your your dad who, you know, suffered through alcoholism. A lot of people in my family um, suffer through that. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in sobriety. I'm a firm believer in programs and stuff like that. Was that something that your father was ever able to accomplish? Or for you, you were like, you know, this is something that I choose that I'm not going to go down this path because I've seen it. Because that's kind of how it was for me. I, I chose not. Yeah. To you know, um, well, two things. One, I, I kind of figured my dad and his dad and my brother drank enough for all of us. So that was never my thing. Right. You know, of course, we've all right. got our own challenges, but alcohol and I have never mixed well right. together, you know, aside right. from little college phase or whatever. That's just not my thing. Sure. You know? That's different. Um, yeah. yeah. But then my dad, it, we, I could never really know is the short answer. He never sought help. You know, yeah. he never was able to look at the challenges and then, and then look to get help. Um, and it, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize a big part of my life is trying to find ways I could have met my dad, you know, mm. and at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 25, 30, 40. But also if I was, you know, the father of five kids by the time I'm 36, 37 years old, making sure. the equivalent of 50 grand a year, trying to send my kids to Catholic school, I'd be drinking too, you know, without any of these yeah. conversations or, or whatever. So he did his best. Um, and, um, you know, uh, better than his father. I'm striving to do better. My son, I hope will do better. It's hard. Life is so hard. And I feel like that's the thing, right? Is like, we, we learn from, I won't even say like mistakes of our parents because it's their journey and you can't like fault them for what happened, you know, but you can learn from what they do and you can pivot and you can, you know, kind of create your own path. Was it hard growing up with four, with, with other, do you, you talk about, you have a brother too. Was that hard growing up seeing kind of your brother follow a different path or? Yeah. I mean, I think a really conservative family. He was 13 years older than me and I didn't know anything. You know mm. what I mean? You don't know any, I didn't know any better when I was growing up. Um, you could, you know, some things you knew just weren't quite right. You know what I mean? But yeah. didn't really know and couldn't look outside of my experience and see that, um, that this was a common experience. And when I look back at my own suffering, the number one thing that, that most um, kind of tortured me and made it harder was I thought it was just me. I thought mm -hmm. that I was the only one who was a, fr I was a super anxious little boy and, and oh. teenager and young man, you know? So I thought I was the only one that was afraid of everything, you know? <laughs> and yeah, granted, yeah. I had a bit of an extreme level of fear for things, but everybody sure. experiences, you know, certain degrees of obviously fear, but anxiety, depression, et cetera. Yes. So that idea of, you know, common humanity and learning more about self-compassion and, and realizing that we're not alone. Like it's not because, it's me. It's because we're human. So that was a really big, important distinction that I made. Um, and it frankly took me 30, 35, even wow. 40 years to really learn that, you know, and sure, sure, it's a big sure. part of my work now is to try to not only let people know that they're not alone, but then to give them the tools to go from that, which I know what it's like to want to end my own life to what it's like to feel pretty grounded and stable, not without challenges, but, um, and, and what I did to go from there to here. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, I think these conversations are, are so important. Biggest thing for you that really made you change your life at a young age or, or in your twenties, I'm not sure how old you were when, when this all like started where you were like, you know what, I, I need to change my mindset. I need to figure something different out because I do not want to go down this path of, of losing my life and lo losing my, you know, sense of who I am. <laughs> like what was, what was that big, like change for you that that really like turned the corner yeah it's interesting as you say that i'm trying to think like what was it i think it was a series of like definitely some quote bigger moments or epiphanal moments but also just systematic incremental change over an extended period of time but you know i wrote my high school to college essay on breaking the cycle so somehow at 16 17 i was already thinking about i got to break this cycle you know right. generationally with the men in my family um, and then in Which college, it's so cool. Um, on a side note, that you did do that, and that you were at such a young age, and not only at a young age, but that you were a dude that really was sensitive and like 
in tune with your feelings enough to know that you needed to break that cycle and not be afraid to share that. I just want to honor you on that. I think that's so cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I look back at that guy and I'm like, what was 15, 16, 17 years old? Bless this guy, you know? I remember I can see my little chicken scratch, 15 year old handwriting. I wrote down Shakespeare's, you know, quote, to thine own self be true. And it must follow as the day, the night, thou canst not then be false to any man. I wrote that down. I'm like 14 or 15. I'm like, who was that little guy? That's awesome. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, shoot. Yeah. So I think, you know, there was some grace there. I don't know how to describe that, you know? And then, you know, I was introduced to Stephen Covey and Seven Habits. And the idea that we could actually create a life of meaning was a new idea for me at 21 because I was just Catholic school for 12 years and had a little whatever intuition that something was possible. But then then I really got into, so Stephen Covey changed my life, seven habits, be proactive, you can create a life of meaning. Um, and then, you know, got into Dan Millman and Paulo Coelho and Tony Robbins and all these other guys in my early 20s. Um, and then I just obsessed. You know, mm. I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books on ancient wisdom and modern science. Wow. And then I wanted to figure out how to I built and sold a company at 24, 25, 26, had enough to take a few years off. You know, I traveled and studied Socrates in Athens and Jesus in Jerusalem and Aurelius in, in near the Danube in Hungary and just was obsessed about, well, what is it? How do I, you know, sure. live a life of meaning and help other people do the same? Um, right. And then I've literally spent the last 25 years doing that. So that's yeah. been my kind of life's obsession. Um and there's definitely been some pivotal moments and then just a lot of hard work. You're talking about how I feel like you're such a seeker, right? And you remind me a lot of my husband in the sense where he's constantly reading about different philosophies and different, you know, just all everything is like, how can I change? How can I better myself? How can I better humanity? And even he's in technology. And so he wants to do it so he can bring that into technology and into bringing it into a company and, and teaching this to other people. Um, and really, you're seeking this because you are a teacher. I think that that's how he is as well. But, you know, do you ever find yourself since you did go seek out Jesus and you did go seek out Jerusalem, do you ever find yourself coming back to the Catholic church or a new type of religion or not a new type of religion? That's not what I mean. And and another religion, you know, that you were not raised on, you know, or do you find yourself just taking little bits from everything? And really that has what you, that's what's making who you are and you're teaching that to your children right now. Yeah. So what I found is that, and again, relentlessly studied all of the ancient wisdom and faith traditions and trying to understand what they all say. And then I wanted to study modern science. And the reality is they all have different cultural takes on it, obviously. Um, But they all say the same thing, which is be the best version of yourself in service to something bigger than yourself. Live with virtue. And again, this is arete. The word arete It's a Greek word that means virtue or excellence. It's the one word answer the ancient Roman Stoics would give you on how to live a good life. That's my my kind of preferred ancient philosophy. I've got Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius behind me on my wall, my favorite teacher, my favorite leader. So that's kind of where I've oriented to now. But every ancient wisdom tradition from the ancient, from Judeo-Christian Islamic beliefs to the ancient Greek and Roman philosophers to Buddhism and Taoism and Hindu, they're all saying the same thing. Right. Step right. back. You know, the world is seducing you to play this play a certain game right. to get more famous and wealthy and, and hot and all the extrinsic yeah. stuff. But the reality is a good life comes down to be a better person, deepen your relationships and make a contribution to your family and your community. It's right. simple. It's hard, but it's simple. And right. so um, I've kind of taken from everything um, and then tried to adapt it into mm-hmm. our modern lives. So ancient mm-hmm. wisdom, modern mm-hmm. science, practical tools, moving from theory to practice to mastery. And the reality is me and you and anyone listening to this, we already pretty much know what we could be doing. That isn't the bigger challenge. The bigger challenge is getting ourselves to do the things we know we could be doing more and more consistently, especially when we don't feel like it. And right. that's the essence of what the book is all about. And you know, we've trained 10,000 coaches from 100 countries around the world. Like That's what we teach because it's all the same. Everyone's saying the same thing. And again, you right. already know it. 
we already have all the wisdom we need. We don't need to listen to another podcast, read no. my book or any other book. It's like, we just need to do the stuff we already know. Well, and I think, but that's a very hard thing for people to do. And I, I know even for me, like, you know, I'm someone that comes up with a million ideas. Like I have, you know, post-it notes throughout the whole house. I have, you know, if you looked in my notes, you know, in my phone, you would be like, oh my gosh, this girl like is out of control. Like she's absolutely bananas because it's all over the place. And it's like one word will be here and then, you know, a sentence and then a quote and all this stuff. But it's because it's like, I, I, I know how to like come up with great ideas, but it's following through with it. It's making sure you create those patterns of being the good person of, you know, doing your work, be of service to others, you know, and it's, and it's hard. You can think about it and you can write it all down, but to actually take action. I think that that's what so many of us really need. We need to be taught how to make the action happen. You know, a lot of people who live with mental illness, um, who are seeking help, you know, and want to be able to do this, but have a harder time following through, you know, do you find that this book is, is just super easy for them? Do you recommend them listening to the audio? Do you recommend them taking one of your, you know, classes? Like what is something, have you seen this before even, you know, or, or is this something that I'm just coming up with? (laughs) No, no, no. I appreciate it. And um, it's, I feel really blessed because we've been able to serve people who perform at the highest possible levels in the military, corporate world, um, sports, et cetera. And people who don't want to live another day, who wanted to end their life, who the same individuals find the same content and are able to kind of find that, 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 um, next level or stability, but this is a universal challenge to, 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 and this is what people who are currently struggling with, the mental health challenges, whether it's anxiety, depression, or the bipolar, or whatever, um, the, the most pernicious story is something's inherently wrong with you. Yeah. And so stepping back and practicing self-compassion, there's a science to it. There are three elements. One, common humanity, you're not alone. Two, um, be nice to yourself when the voice comes in. And then three, notice when you aren't. But then I offer, but then you need to go beyond that and you need to start changing things. Right. So- if you only do the things you know are best for you when you feel like it, you will never create stability in your life. So my main thing is we've got to figure out how to help you get consistency on the basic fundamentals. Mm. Now, the things you couldn't pay me to not do these days are eating, moving, and sleeping principally. Um, Because I used to eat this and that, and I'd, I'd order a pizza for dinner, you know, buy one, get one free and have the next one for breakfast and lunch the next day. I'd be up until 2 a.m. and sleep in or whatever or not. Um, I would rarely move. I didn't have any of those fundamentals dialed in. But the reality is your gut produces 80, 85, 90% of your body's serotonin. So the way to, to optimize your psychology, somewhat surprisingly perhaps, is through your physiology. Right. So I've created a stability in my life and I've helped others do the same by focusing on the things within their control how they eat, how they move, how they sleep. And that's life-changing. And then I've got a systematic kind of um, protocol that I walk people through that the book, you know, is, is organized around these seven objectives and whatnot. But I think it's important to recognize you're not alone. Um, Mm. Another way to frame it briefly, BJ Fogg, the the leading thinker on behavioral change out of Mm -hmm. Stanford. um, He says, most people think that when they've failed to change a behavior, and we all have, that it's a character flaw. Something's wrong with me or you or the listener, right? And he says, wait, wait, wait. What if it was a design flaw? What if you just weren't taught how to effectively change your life? And the reality is it actually isn't. It's harder than you'd like it to be, but not as hard as you think it will be. And that's important to know because then you can get good at it. And then when you get good at it, you feel that, oh, my God, I'm more stable. My highs are higher and my lows are higher. I still have Mm -hmm. highs and lows, but my lows are higher. And now I just can't do this anymore. And there's something really exciting about that. Um, that that again, I've been blessed to connect with people who are experiencing deep, profound mental sure, health challenges sure. and finding stability in some of the ideas we just discussed. So what are the seven are steps the- that you were talking about or the seven fundamentals? Yes, I call them objectives. And it's objectives. kind of the, the, the main themes that I've seen across the ancient wisdom and modern science that I've found to be effective in walking people through a coherent framework. So the first objective is you got to know the ultimate game. 
most people have been seduced to play the wrong game. They think it's about fame, wealth, hotness, square footage in your house, Instagram followers. And when I say that out loud, you know that's a joke, but, but yet but we're seduced to go after it. But you still do it. You know what I mean? You still yeah. post the picture because you want it to be, yeah. get the most likes. And then you get upset because yeah. you think like, oh, this should be the most popular photo. Like, why yeah. don't people like yeah. it? You know, 100%. Yeah. And, then, and then you didn't spend time with your baby because you're yes. doing that. Yes. Okay, well, that's yes. an extrinsic motivator. And scientists are unequivocal. Even if you're successful in the pursuit of the extrinsic fame, wealth, and hotness, you will be, and I quote, less psychologically stable then people who know that the real game is just be a better person, deepen yeah. your relationships and make a contribution to your family, even if no one knows about it. That's yeah. intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. And just stepping back far enough to say, look, if most people in my society are unhealthy, it's probably not a good idea to be like most people. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm going to step back and play a different game. That's objective one. You got to know the ultimate game. Sure. And then objective two is you got to know that game is hard. Because mm -hmm. we've been seduced to play the wrong game. Then we've been seduced to believe it should be easy. And if something goes wrong, it's because you're an idiot. And right. if you just had it figured out, you'd already have all the things that, that you think you want and you'd be happy right. and all these things. Yeah. Anyway, objective two is forge anti-fragile confidence. What does that mean? Yeah. So there's three words there. Forge, um, which is we'll hold for a moment, but it requires a level of intensity. It's kind of become cool to be aloof and a bit cynical or even nihilistic yeah. in this world. But you got to want it, you know, and you got to be willing to do the work to get it. You got to enter gotta a hungry. Yeah, but grounded, you know, and not yeah. manicky and kind of running out and not sure, remembering sure. to ground and have the, the gravitas, et cetera. But anti-fragility is a word I got from Nassim Taleb, um, mm. who's a great intellectual who wrote a book called Anti-Fragility. So we know about resilience, but he says there's an opposite to fragility and it's not resilience. If you're fragile, you break when life hits you. And then you go numb yourself and do all the things you wish you didn't do. If you're resilient, you're a little bit stronger, but then you eventually break down and you bounce back faster. But there's some, which is better than being fragile. But sure. there's something that's better than being resilient. That's the opposite of fragility. Mm. That's anti-fragility. When mm. life hits an anti-fragile person, they get stronger. And we'll talk about in a moment how to do that. Well, I like the that. metaphor. Yeah, this is this is how I save people's lives, to put it bluntly. Because if you get this, it changes everything. And it's also yeah. what I talk to the most elite performers about, because they want more of this as well. Sure. So the metaphor that Nassim Taleb uses is the wind will extinguish a little candle, but it will fuel a fire. The same wind extinguishes a candle, fragile, fuels a fire, anti-fragile. Um, so then then how do you do that? Well, you need to forge anti-fragile confidence. So right. confidence comes from two little ancient words, confidere, which means intense trust. Mm. So intense trust in what? That things are going to go the way you want them to go? No, that you have what it takes to deal with it. But if you want to build intense trust in any relationship, what do you have to do? So if, if, you, if I want you to trust me and we had yeah. a scheduled time and I don't show up, would you trust me? No. And I'm a no. firm believer in you show up on time. <laughs> and you may give me a pass because we're friends sure. with Jen and it's like, oh, Jen said he's a cool guy. He must have something. Right. Yeah. But if I do it again, you'd be like, dude, I don't trust this guy. And you shouldn't trust me. Yeah. So my question is, if you want to trust yourself, you need to, do you do what you say you will do? If you say you're going to be with your kids without your phone, if you say you're going to meditate, if you say you're going to follow a certain nutrition program, if you say you're going to move your body in a certain way and you don't and you don't and you don't, then you're eroding your trust. 100%. So we want to build our trust, not perfectly, but more and more yeah. consistently doing the things we say we want to do, especially, and this is where anti-fragility comes in, especially doing the things we know we could do when yeah. we feel the worst. Right. So my coach is a guy named Phil Stutz. Phil Stutz is in a Netflix documentary with Jonah yes. Hill talking about, as you know, you know, mental health challenges and destigmatizing conversations like this. Yeah. So I've worked with Phil um, over 400 times, one-on-one -on -one sessions, mm -hmm. nearly 450. In one of the early ones, um, he, he complimented me and he said, you have a lot of emotional stamina, maybe the most I've ever seen. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's cool. You know, yeah. I have no idea what that means, but awesome. Thank I'll you. Take it. Yeah. Yeah. Next session, I'm like, all right, Phil, what's emotional stamina? 
And he said, emotional stamina is your ability to handle pain, uncertainty, and hard work, which is what he says everyone experiences. Mm. No one wants to, but everyone experiences it. So then follow-up question is, how do I get more emotional mm. stamina? And then he told me something that completely changed my life, which I now call anti-fragile confidence and how you form it. He said, the worse you feel, the more committed you need to be to your protocol. So the worse you feel, the more you're getting knocked around, the more committed you need to be to doing the things you do when you're at your best. What, oh, yeah. do, what do most people do and what do I do when I'm not practicing what we're talking about? I go do the stupid things. I go off the rails and I go do the things I know I shouldn't be doing. We all do. Right. But what if when life hits you, when COVID happens, when a relationship ends, when a business deal falls through, instead of doing all the numbing behaviors and addictive stuff, you doubled down on your protocol mm -hmm. and you did the things that you do when you're at your best. Mm -hmm. Now, knowing I'm saying a lot, that presupposes you have a protocol. It presupposes right. you know who you are at your best. So right. a big part of my work is to make the point that you uh -huh. got to know the ultimate game, then you got to forge anti-fragile confidence. And the way you do that is to get clarity on the things that you do when you're at your best. Um, right. And then when you feel your worst, you do them. Then everything right. changes. Literally everything changes. Even if you just get three, five, 10% better. And I have goosebumps I say that. It, it's changed my life. No, it's changed a I lot believe, of people's lives. And I believe that because you know what? I will tell you, like I, uh, I, I, obviously did not know that this was like a type of practice, but there have been moments in my life and events we'll say where it, it should have been a downfall and it should have been me hiding in bed and not wanting to get up out of bed. And in fact, I put that towards my work. I put that towards my family. Like I made sure like, no, you know what? I am going to get up today and I am going to keep on going on, even though I may not have the support that I thought that I did, you know, um, with business, you know? So I, I think that, it's so true, but to hear it from such professionals and people such as yourself and, and Phil who have accomplished so much, it's such a good reminder to like, be like the wind and like, remember you can blow a little candle out, but you can also make that fire even bigger, you know? And I think that yeah. that is such an important, it's just beautiful. It's, it's so true because you can see mm -hmm. that, right. And you can feel that and you're like, oh, okay, you know what? I am going to keep on going. Yeah, that's so exciting. And again, another metaphor is it's like going to the gym. You don't go to the gym to lift styrofoam weights. You lift real weights. And those right. weights, when you do reps, make you stronger. So when life gives you challenges, rather than resist them, and, and unhealthy people avoid challenges. Sure. Healthy people approach them. So right. it's a subtle but important distinction. Do you avoid or do you approach your challenges? Sure. So we want to lean in. We want to say, bring it on to the pain, the uncertainty, the hard work. Easier said than done. But that yeah. becomes a practice. And that's how you forge anti-fragile confidence. Wow. Um, and then just to go back to where we were, objective three is, all right, all that's nice and warm and fuzzy. But how do I build a protocol? Right. Well, I simplify a good life into three things, energy, work, and love. If you can get your energy up and then focused in your work and your love, you have a good shot at creating a great life. We can talk more about that. But then the fourth objective is today's the day. Make yeah. today a masterpiece. Know what a great day would look like. And let's put in those things that you do when you're at your best into your day. And then the fifth objective is to master yourself. And I mm. talk about the art and science of behavioral change because um, mm. there's simple things you can do to install behaviors and delete behaviors. And we want to get really, really good at that. It's the most important thing we can do is cultivate our discipline, our willpower, our self-mastery. And then the sixth objective is to go deeper into the fundamentals. I like uh -huh. to say, if you want to see how tall a building is going to be, look at how deeply they're digging the foundation. You got to do the basic things really well. And these things are eating, moving, sleeping, um, breathing, and focusing your mind or what I focus sure, on. Sure, sure, sure. And then when you do that, the seventh objective is you activate what I call your superpower. Um, it's like, I call it soul force, which Gandhi right. named, um, Martin Luther King talked about it. But it's a kind of a moral charisma. When you're around mm -hmm. people that are living in integrity with their highest values, you can feel it. There's a yeah. level of um, something about them that's powerful. Um, who, are your, who are your favorite heroes? One way I like to get clarity on it is, oh is that. You, who are your two favorite heroes? Oh, my gosh. I mean, my favorite heroes, that's, oh, my gosh. Well, I would say it's so tacky and cheesy, but I would say my mom. Um, 
because she was so resilient and did so much as a single mom that I can't even imagine. And as a businesswoman and uh, it like blows my mind. I mean, if I could get into, you know, God, this is a question no one has ever asked me. And I've never thought about who my heroes are because there are just so many. There are so many. Give me one more. That's far from cheesy, by the way. My God, having your mom and the quality. So you just described your mom's virtues, by the way. She's oh. resilient and stayed in there and hardworking and loving and took care. Of. I mean, these are the virtues that your mom embodied. Yeah. That you have within you, that you admire in her, that you're committed to bringing out for your kids and for, for your child and for yeah. your family. And, and we want to remember that, right? right. But, but who's the second hero? Just, just who uh. comes to mind? Oh my God. I mean, Oprah always comes to mind because I feel like Oprah is just the best. So I feel like I, I would say, let's go with Oprah. We'll go with Oprah. Cause that's let's like, a good, Oprah. okay, cool. So then, um, so then imagine your mom and Oprah. Now your mom and Oprah have a lot of qualities in common, I'm sure, but they're also very different, right? Sure, sure, sure. But the thing they have in common is they have this soul force. They have this energy that you can feel when they're at their best. And I can right. feel um, well, the way I like to frame it up is, all right, so you got your two heroes, your mom right. and Oprah, and then we've yeah. got you. And I want yeah. you to think of your best, most heroic self. Project forward like two, three, four, five years, because you at your best basically is an integration of your mom and Oprah. You're out changing well, the world, I, making I will a difference. Take that. <laughs> Goosebumps. No, but, but, but this is, yeah. this is, I would offer who you are called to be. So sure. Abraham Maslow says, what one can be, one must be. So yeah. this impulse to become your best self is at, at a certain stage of our development. He came up with the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. At a certain stage of your development, it's a, it's, a, it's a need as real as your need to breathe, to self-actualize. 100%. So using this process to get clarity on who we aspire to be and then committing to be that version of ourselves today yeah. And then when we're in doubt and in any moment in, in our lives, we can think of our heroes, think of that wisdom, and then be the best version of right. ourselves. That's what it means to live with Arta, where oh. you close the gap between who you could be and who you're actually being. And right. I should say it out loud in this context, but Arta, again, means virtue or excellence, but it means something closer to being your best self moment mm -hmm. to moment to moment. So if in any given moment you could be this version mm -hmm. of yourself, and I'm drawing that line in my eyes, and you're actually being this, and there's a gap between who you could have been and who you're actually being, it's in that gap in which regret, anxiety, disillusionment, depression exists. When mm -hmm. you close the gap in any given moment, there's no room for that negative stuff. Now, right. of course, it's more nuanced than that. But in the moment, sure, sure, sure. how do you feel? You feel great. You feel a sense of, yeah, yeah, I'm oh, doing, oh. even if it's hard. Yeah. So all we want to do, we're never going to be perfect at closing the gap. And I have goosebumps again. But if we get even one, three, five, 10, 20% better, we completely change our lives. And that's what it means to live with Arte, to be your best, you know, most, I would say, heroic self. Um, but those are the seven objectives. You got to know the ultimate game, forge anti-fragile confidence, get your energy work and love right, make today a masterpiece as you master yourself, dominate those fundamentals. And as you do that, you activate um, your superpower and you fundamentally and permanently change your life. And you show up as the hero we need in order right. to meet these historically significant challenges, which sure. is a big part of my life's work as well. Sure. Oh my God. Now you're going to have me now thinking like, who really is a hero to me? And like, what do I, cause you know, you have idols and you have people that you, you know, honor. And I'm like, Oh, I like what this person does in this sense. I like what they do in this sense, but really to sit down and think about, okay, who do I put up here and who can I meet at that level? You know what I mean? Mm. And, and make sure, because I'm telling you, even just thinking about it of like, Oh my God, like I could be at the same level as Oprah or something. You know what I mean? Like even just thinking like I could even get a percentage like that is so exciting and it's invigorating and it makes me like want to really start the day. Like it's, it's, it's fantastic. So I can see how so many people's lives are transformed by taking those little, little steps, just a few steps. That's all they need to take. Yeah. And then looking at, at, again, it's the qualities within our heroes that like that we have latent within us. Like my two favorite heroes are Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius, my favorite teacher and my favorite um, leader. And I aspire to be, 
you know, a bit of a philosopher and a bit of a CEO and integrating those qualities. Um, but you're you, you know, Epictetus yeah. is this intense. Um, if you read his old stuff, he's funny and intense. You give people a hard time. I love that, you know? Yeah. And then Aurelius is this noble, wise, humble leader. Oh, okay, cool. Let me have some more of that. But then you have this beautiful, you know, integration of, of these qualities that, uh, again, the joy to, to mm. think about how we can more consistently express that. Yeah, I find to be really, really inspiring. And that's what I want to do. I want to make sure that I bring joy to others and that they that they find themselves not only to be happy of the little things in life, uh, but that they, you know, feel heard, they feel seen, and they they know that they're not alone because there have been so many times in my life where I've felt alone and I want to feel not alone. Yep. So it's, 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 it's beautiful. Now I have a question hmm. for you since you are a dad, you know, what is some advice learning, you know, all that you have, all this incredible knowledge and the philosophers and all of this stuff. What is something that you would say is like your top thing for a parent to teach their child? Yeah, what a great question. I have an 11-year-old boy and a six-year-old daughter. And Aww. by far, my, I mean, yeah, by far my biggest, um, I got them on my wall back there as well. Um, yeah. Biggest challenge, biggest reward. Um, but but two things come to mind. One, we need to to be the person we hope our kids aspire to be. Mm. So who we are, we named our kid Emerson, our son Emerson after Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, who you are, yeah. as my dog barks very loudly, who you are speaks so loudly, I cannot mm. hear what you say. So who you are is going to be the biggest way you teach your kids. You can't teach your kids things that you are not, A. And that's a really, really, really humbling fact, sure, right? Sure. That, that when we actually pay attention to that, makes me work harder. But then the number one thing that I, I've um, tried to teach them by yeah. my example and also practically is Carol Dweck's growth mindset. Mm. So I grew up in a dysfunctional family that was pure fixed mindset. I had to be perfect in order to be accepted and loved and all the other things. Right. Great. Good luck with that. That's going to lead to perfectionism and all the things we don't want. A growth mindset is completely different in that it, we know that you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes. So I work very hard to teach my kids to embrace challenges, to mm. embrace making mistakes. And um, the growth mindset is um, the thing that, in her book called Mindset, is my number one parenting um, book recommendation. Wow. Um, and it's awesome to see our kids like, you know, they have a fearlessness and, a, and, a, and an understanding of the importance of experimenting and making mistakes. And the fact that's the only way you learn that I wish right. I had you know, yeah. 49 years ago, 45 years ago. Right. right. Wow. That's so interesting. And I, I it's, it's, it's funny because I was such a perfectionist um, and I, myself as a kid, and it was not due to my family, but I understood what that was like because I had it was part of my bipolar disorder of, of if I was not better than the day before, then I didn't even want to try. You know, that was kind of how I was. It was like really quite intense for a young kid. And I'm very conscious and very aware of not projecting what I went through, you know, on myself, you know, internally on my daughter. And I like watch her and I'm like, Oh, you, you made a mistake. You didn't get that puzzle correct. That's okay. We'll try again. You know, but it's funny because I see, you know, at 18 months, I can already see like, like she has to finish something. She has to accomplish everything before she continues on to the next thing. And it's just so funny that, that you see how different everything is. So I am definitely going to check out that book after your book. That sounds really cool and really interesting. And, and yeah. And as they get older, do you have any advice what you will do when they're teenagers, you know, for those I, who are I, listening. I try to only give advice. I try to only give advice that uh, I have I have personally experienced. But let me check it out. So Carol Dweck, pages five hundred and seventy three, eight hundred and seventy seven through eight hundred and eighty. Um, I reference her work, so you can get okay. the kind of you know little Cliff's notes on what I just talked about, and that's yeah. part of what I've done. Two hundred different authors are in the book, but. Um, you know, I'm excited about where they're at and I'm excited about having given them, um, 
And our whole thing is we're trying to raise, you know, little iconoclastic heroes. We homeschool our kids and um, all the things we've oh talked about. Oh my gosh, about. that's my amazing. Wife, yeah, my wife is, is as into this stuff as I am. Um, and, and just practicing our philosophy is the big thing. Um, but they're awesome and they're funny. And, and, um, but we'll see, you know, these, these little kids slash people are going to yeah. become their own adults and they're going to need to have their own path and, and all of that. But um it's been a I real was, joy so far. This is kind of a side question, but like I was homeschooled, I think, for three years because I was a kid actress and I and I had to be on set. So like that's why we did it. You know, for you, like what do you find to be the hardest challenge from the parent side of the homeschooling? My wife does the brunt of the the work on there. So making sure she's taking care of herself and has the right. space to do her thing. But we're kind of more unschooling than than homeschooling. Like we're not sure. sitting out with a book and you know, um, so we've allowed our kids to have a real kind of um, idiosyncratic pathway to it. Wow. Um, but, you know, the things that I was most nervous about, social, you know, uh, socialization and whatnot. But our kids, because they aren't in school, are way more social. They can talk to anybody of any age. You know what I mean? They aren't in that plus or minus six months in a grade level kind sure. of thing. Um and just the joy, you know, my son's into chess. I talk about him a lot in the book to use him as an example of how to how to talk about these ideas, which can be complex, but breaking it down for, you know, then a 10 year old. Um, but uh, yeah, those are those are some of the things that arise and, and you know, embracing it and, and finding right. the joy. They go to nature school twice a week. So right now they're at nature school. That is so cool. What is nature school? I know, right? Now we moved to Austin from California. My wife was all into it. We found a great school, but my son could build a fire before he could read, you know? Like we didn't what? push him hard to go. Yeah. You know, whatever was little like little flint. He's like a boss, you know? But we didn't push the you gotta do this and then this and then this by right. this point in time. Um right. I mean he wanted and I talk about his passion for chess. He won a, a state championship for his division in chess before he could read at grade level. So we were willing to like play let him follow his own, you know, wow. kind of tempo and, and trying sure. to find the things that he's passionate about. And then when he found that thing, give him the support to do it. But again, we've been conditioned to conform to things that uh, don't always lead to the things we really want. I love that you're saying this because this is how I was like, my parents were both in computer technology and, and in the Bay area. And that's where I grew up. And I, you know, they thought I was going to go to MIT and that I was going to be an engineer and all of this. And I came out singing and dancing and they were like, who is this child? Like we have no relationship. Like what, what we don't sing and dance. Like what is going on? You know, but it was so wonderful because my mom really did what you guys are doing. She nurtured who I was. She put me in Taekwondo because I wanted to do that. She you know, had me in dance. I was a competition dancer. Um, and then I became a mm. national jazz tap champion, you know, then I, you know, did acting, then I did theater, then I did singing, you know, she really was like, okay, if this is your passion. Then we're going to follow your passion. So that's why I did the mm. homeschooling because we had moved to, you know, Los Angeles to follow this career, you know, and she wanted nothing to do with it. Like she was not a stage mom. Mm. She did not understand it. She didn't understand these other moms that were pushing their kids. She's like, you have to listen to your child. And that's something mm. I'm very conscious about with my daughter is like, what is she into? You know, and whatever she's mm. into, if she's like, you know what, mom? And it's hard because it is a battle because sometimes my husband feels differently. But but for me, if she was like, you know what, mom, I want to be a coder and I want to do coding and this is what I want to do. And I don't feel the need to go and do X, Y, and Z in a normal school. I want to go somewhere else. I would listen to her, you know, because mm. I feel like that's what we, we do such a disservice to our children by not listening to them. And we mm. treat them like they don't know anything. They don't know anything. And I heard some advice that someone, I don't even know where someone told me, but they were like, just remember how you felt as a child when someone didn't listen to you, when someone didn't hmm. take you seriously, whether it was your family, whether it was you were in school, whether, you know, whoever it was, strangers, remember how frustrated you felt that you weren't hmm. listened to because you were small and that you would wish, I just can't wait to be older, right? We always wanted to be older. We always wanted to be 18 or 16 so we could drive or 21 so we could drink. Think of how frustrating that was and 
put yourself in that position for your kid and be there for them and Hmm. like, listen. So what you're doing, Brian, Hmm. and you and your wife, wow, you are truly listening to your children. And I think that's so excellent and so cool and so rock star. They're going to be like such epic kids and they're going to be epic adults. Fingers crossed. Uh, we're, we're, uh, uh, feel blessed and, and love everything you said. And, and, um, yeah, I mean that dynamic balance, you know, of creating structure and, and, you know, but getting them excited about living a certain lifestyle too, you know, like we eat a certain way that's very different. We move and we sleep and my, my, we just do things very differently, but to have our kids think that's cool, you know, and to look outside and be like, yeah, well, I don't know they're doing that. It's like, that's actually the most fun thing, you know, of, of, yeah. um, we can force it on them. It's just, we've created this little culture that, um, is fun. The first, I read a book, two books that most impacted me before, um, mindset right. parenting from the inside out by Dan Siegel, okay. which is all about the parents coherent narrative. And um. that will lead to the healthy or less than healthy attachment to the parental figure. So making sense of your life story essentially is really important for your kids. Um, again, sounds obvious when I say it out loud, but it's really important. Sure. And then the, another one called Hold On to Your Kids, mm. in which they talk about the fact that it's really important that, that parents remain their kids' North Star. Um, and the, it was written like 15 years ago. Um, and especially these days, you do not want your kids' peers to be their North Star. Oh, no. uh, so that really struck a chord for um, my wife and I. And we've been committed to creating the, the space. Um, and spending the time with them such that we are their primary kind of source of culture, if you will, which again, longer chat, but that's been a powerful um, part of, uh, you know, creating these little heroes in training. Sure. No, I, I think that that's so, so special and so unique and so refreshing to hear. Um, and it's not, you know, I was someone that, you know, didn't follow the norm of society. I feel like how I was raised and, there were a lot of judgment from teachers, you know, that were in schools and, and um, a lot of judgment from other parents. And I'm like, I think I turned out pretty fucking awesome. I'm going to say, you know, like <laughs> I think I'm pretty strong willed. I'm, you know, I have dealt with the challenge of living with a mental illness. I've taken that. I've tried, I'm trying to do some good in the world with it. Um, and I, I know I, I, I'm here to be a voice for the voiceless and I'm going to continue doing that, you know, and I'm going to continue that. You're the living embodiment of um, both a hero and an anti-fragile hero. So a hero goes on a quest, you know, they get a guide, they get buddies, they fight dragons, they win or learn and yeah. get some scars. Then they come back transformed and they yeah. give their gift to the world. So your gift is the experiences that you've had in helping others who are on sure. their own heroic quest. That's a beautiful thing. And then again, you took your biggest challenges and made it your biggest gift. That's yeah. the definition of anti-fragility. That's such a beautiful thing and demonstration um, uh-huh. that I just want to celebrate because um, I think that's, uh, if I dropped F-bombs, pretty cool as yeah. well. So, <laughs> we'll keep it. I'm we'll Mr. Rogers in public. I got him up there as well. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So good. Well, just to close out, you know, what would be one final thing that you would say to someone who is listening? Maybe is like, I don't know if I want to, you know, go through the whole book and go through the whole challenge. What's maybe one simple thing that they can do to kind of shift the mindset of, you know what, I am going to make this next step of, of change? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So then we talked about protocol. We talked about forging anti-fragile confidence by doing the things you know are best for you and you least feel like it. So the Mm. practical way to get clarity on that, and the number one thing I'd encourage people to consider is, who are you at your best? And here's the exercise. Take out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and then on the upper left, put do, and on the upper right, put don't. Mm. And then think about the things you do when you're at your best. Look back in the past when you're at your best for a day, a week, a month, maybe even a year or a decade. What did you do? And then what did you not do? And then think about the one thing that you know you could be doing that you're not currently doing, that if you started doing, it would most change your life. And then do the same thing on the don't. What's Mm -hmm. one thing you know you could stop doing that if you stop doing it would most transform your life? And know that that's actually the fastest way to change your life is to stop doing the things that are your kryptonites is how I like to describe it. But again, all good. We've all got it. No shame. 
but do bring that healthy level of, you know what, it's time. It's time for me to, to change this behavior and then bring joy to it, um, have fun with it. And, um, you know, to the extent, this is what I, this is the book. That's what I've tried to do. And very, very simple, um, you know, chapters to help you move from theory to practice to mastery. So to the extent any of these ideas um, resonated, you might find the book interesting, but that's the most practical um, tool that I know. The number one start, number one stop. I come back to that all the time. Oh, I love that. Well, Brian, I'm going to ask you my final question. I ask everyone, what is your emotional support? What is my emotional support? Um, great question. Um, things that I do for myself. So mm. my top things that I do when I'm on that you couldn't pay me not to do. I'm in bed mm. for nine to 10 hours. Sleep is my number one. It's my superpower. Right. I love getting eight hours of sleep plus a night and I prioritize that. Yeah. So that's, that's how I give myself emotional support, eating, moving, mm. sleeping, all the things we discussed. And then my wife would be the primary kind of... Um, uh, human being. And then Phil, my, my coach, I think having a dynamic with someone you really respect, who's believable, incapable in helping you make important distinctions is great. Um, and, 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 and some really dear friends who also are committed to living these ideas, um, inspire me and push me and, um, show me what it looks like to be in my case, you know, a good man, a good husband and a good father. Um, so those are some of the, the now many things that, that give me emotional support. Great. Conversations like this, do it for me. I got, I got a yeah. full treasure trove. Yeah. I mean, I think conversations like this are so exciting too, because, you know, I'll leave this conversation and have such a different mindset. And that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have such wonderful people like you on the show. And I know everyone listening is so excited. So Brian, how can everyone find you? Yeah. So the book, Arete, A-R-E-T-E, you can find that wherever you get books. Um, and then Heroic is the app. So the business I run, I have two tattoos, Arete and Heroic. Um, but Heroic um, is an app through which we help you move from theory to practice. Wow. You can find Heroic in your iOS or Android app stores. We're Heroic, the training platform. But Heroic.us is the website for that slash book. If you want to get some free, you know, whatever, sample chapters, Phil Stutz wrote the forward to the book. So cool. um, but anyway, wow. that's kind of the, uh, yeah, yeah best and we'll way have to find everything it. in the show notes so everyone can just click and find it. Um, Brian, thank you so much for taking your time coming on here, teaching me so much, teaching the emotional support audience so much. We just are so grateful. So thank you. Yeah.